Quest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. This episode was produced by Cappy Productions. Just going to take a moment to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to introduce you a show called Translating Love. I played their uh, promo last week on the show, but in case you missed it, here it is again. Hey, everybody. This is Danny. And Boifi. From the podcast Translating, Translating Love. Love. And yes, we know what you're thinking. Another relationship podcast. However, since I am from the U.S., And I'm from Austria. We think that there is a unique twist on the genre. With relatable topics and interesting guests, we're trying to provide some helpful insights, give helpful tips, and also make you laugh. Our topics for translating love include mental health, trauma, anxiety, long-distance relationships, being married, sex, and many other subjects concerning all types of relationships, not only romantic ones. And our goal is not to only strengthen our bond and spend more quality time together making translating love, but also to try to be more mindful, learn new things about these topics and ourselves, and become more well-rounded human beings. Therefore, we also talk about subjects that are important to talk about and relatable in this day and age. You can listen to Translating Love on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. I got to tell you, I love the concept of the show, and I think that they are just fantastic people. So check it out and back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Conquest of Bliss. I am... I'm here with Deborah Driggs. How are you today, Deborah? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me today. I am so excited to have you on today. So, a little bit about Deborah before we move forward is Deborah is a Playboy cover girl turned insurance mogul. So, she is a fantastic person with a fantastic story. And she's agreed to come talk to me today about using the tools that we're given and taking the opportunities that we're given instead of pining about the opportunities that we weren't. So can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, how things started and how you ended up, you know, in Playboy and all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, let's get right to the nitty gritty. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. I I did not set out, you know, my aspiration was not to be in the magazine Playboy. And when I was 20 years old, I went to Japan to dance. And while I was there, they asked me if I would do this catalog shoot. They liked my look. They saw me dance. And this agency asked if I would do a, a catalog shoot. And they said they were going to pay me a certain amount of money. And I said, I was 20 years old. I, I would have done it for free. <laughs> so I said, sure. So I ended up doing this catalog shoot and I really loved it. It was a fun day. They put me in a poodle skirt, had me dancing <laughs> on the set. And I thought... I could do this for a living. And so when I came back to America, I told everybody that I was going to be in commercials and I was going to model. And the pushback at that time was, you know, that models are 5'10 and and I'm only 5'6 and mm -hmm. the chances of me getting an agent were slim to none. And, you know, everybody, and it's funny because... There, there's your first lesson. Never take advice from somebody who's not doing what you want to do. Oh, that is good advice. That's your first advice. <laughs> the people you want to take advice from are the people that have the career that you want, the success that you want. You go get advice from those people. And so thank goodness I had I was street smart enough to know 
that nothing was going to stop me. And so I went up to LA and I took a class. I had money now from the job that I had in Japan. So I took a class called Tepper Gallegos, a commercial workshop. And at the end of the eight weeks, they brought in agents and you would do a commercial in front of the agents and you would, you were hoping that you were going to get signed. Mm -hmm. And I had three agents approach me and they all wanted to sign me. And I chose to sign with Mary Webb Davis and Pacific Artists. Okay. Excuse me. And, and I was doing commercials and modeling right off the bat. I was, I, I, I actually, yeah, I actually booked the very first audition they sent me out on. And ironically, it was a commercial for Japan. (laughs) So the Japanese really liked my look and they, you know, I just, for some reason, I I worked really well. I did, as a matter of fact, I ended up doing probably four or five commercials for Japan. The big one was Suntory Whiskey with Mickey Rourke. And yeah, so I had already been doing all this work and in 1989, so I'd already been working for about four or five years. In 1989, my agent called me and said that Playboy wanted to meet with me. They had a new book called The Lingerie Book, and they were interested in seeing me for the cover. Whoa. And my first question was, is there any nudity involved? Yeah. And, and we laughed, and she said, well, you know, it's Playboy, so there's it's probably going to be partial nudity. Mm-hmm. At this point, I had already worked for Body Glove and Ocean Pacific and all these swimsuit companies. And mm-hmm. I had a portfolio of a lot of swimsuit shots and, and tear sheets. And so I was okay with that. And when I went to the famous building on Sunset, I went in, signed in. And when they called my name and took me back, they wanted me to change and put a robe on and then go into the studio to shoot a few Polaroids. Well, I came out, I had left my undergarments on because that mm-hmm. was normal back in 1989 because you'd audition for swimsuits. They just want to see your body. Yeah, they want to know what they're working with. Well, so and also back then it was a different time. They were looking for tattoos, scars, birthmarks, oh. piercings. Back then that was kind of a big deal. And mm-hmm. today they love all, you know, now that's yeah. the now more the merrier. Thing. Yeah. So... I had my undergarments on and they wanted me to take them off. And I said, oh, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the the lingerie book cover or whatever. They're like, yeah, but everything we do has partial nudity. We need to see your whole body. And so I I didn't do it and I left. And that afternoon I got a call and they were interested in shooting me for the centerfold. And I just and I literally dropped the phone. I was like. This can't be right. I was like, I think they're confusing me with one Someone of the else, other girls. Yeah. yeah. And I called my agent. She's like, no, it's true. <laughs> they, we just got off the phone. They want to shoot you for a centerfold. And they want to book you out for this amount of time. And it was like eight weeks, eight, eight, eight to 12 weeks of shooting. And so I, you know, said, what do you think? How do you think this will affect my career? Because at this, up to this point, I was doing really wholesome catalog work. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, when you open the Sunday paper and there's people in there like, <laughs> smiling, Sunday wear, smiling. I mean, that was me. And so I said, is this going to affect my, 
you know, it's not that I had a huge career, but I was still concerned. And so that makes sense. She's like, no, she's like, no, I, as if, if anything, Deborah, it's such a sexy magazine. It's the number one magazine in the world. I think you're going to do great. You should do it. Oh, that's so, awesome. so I ended up shooting and I finished, I did all the shooting in the summer of 1989. It came out, um, my centerfold came out March, 1990, and they had flown me to Chicago and I shot the cover and my cover was April, 1990, which is also very ironic. So <laughs> I had my centerfold in March, my cover in April, and I was just on this whirlwind Next thing I knew, I was flying all around the country doing promotions and radio shows, TV spots. I did Oprah Winfrey. I did the Bob Hope special. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. So it was quite the whirlwind and it was, it was super interesting and fun. I learned a lot about the history of Playboy and, and I just loved, I loved my time. You know, that year was, it was a crazy, fun, you know, wild, wild time in my life because I was being introduced to everybody. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, auditions I thought I would, it would take me forever to get to, all of a sudden, everybody was bringing me in. They were, they were asking for you specifically. Specific. Oh yeah. We want to see her. (laughs) Not even knowing whether or not I could add, you know, they didn't care. It was like, yeah, we want to see her. So now I'm really getting thrown really in the direction of acting. And so I decided, I went on an audition for a TV show called Charles in Charge. And I've heard of that. Yeah. With Scotty Bayo. And, and I, I went on the audition. It was for a big part on the show. And I didn't do so well on the audition. And the casting director was sweet enough to just stop me and sit me down. And he said, hey, you know, Deborah, I would have hired you the minute you walked in the door. You have a great look. You have the personality, but you need to learn how to act. (laughs) So I enrolled myself that day in a two-year Meisner technique, and I really worked hard. I actually took myself out of the game a little bit with Playboy and and doing the promotions and all of that. And, And I really studied, you know, how to act and... My auditioning got much, I had so much more confidence. I felt so much more like in control now going on auditions because I knew what I was doing a little, you know, you know, when yes. you start to really <laughs> understand how it works, it, it all comes together. And so I started getting cast in, you know, all, in little parts. And then I got cast in a pilot, even though it didn't get picked up. It was like, I was getting cast and I was getting momentum. And, mm-hmm. and so that was all great. And then I met my husband in <laughs> acting class and we got married in 1992, had three children back to back. Oh, wow. And yeah, by 1998, I did the, my last TV show and it was really hard to juggle that with, with three kids. So I just became a full-time mom, you know, and, and it was really a good decision for me, for my kids, for, the, for our family. And we decided to move to Park City, Utah. Oh, wow. And, that's that's quite a change of pace. It was a really big change. But we wanted to raise our kids in a wholesome environment mm-hmm. where they could have four seasons. They could run around. They could walk to the park. And, you know, they didn't have to be in a car being schlepped around all the time. In L.A., you know, kids are in the car most of the time. 
So after living there for, uh, you know, almost a year, my, my husband and I got divorced <laughs> and that's pretty much right. You know, that was the, the most troubling time in my life because now I'm 40 years old, no money, three kids, no, you know, I'm hitting, I had an agent in Salt Lake and I'm hitting a commercial here and there, but nothing stable. Mm -hmm. So, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I didn't, I never thought I'd be in that position. Mm -hmm. I never thought I'd be in that place. And I just felt so low. So I took, you know, a few, you know, I had to work. I didn't leave my marriage with this big alimony plan, mm -hmm. settlement, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So I had to work. So my first first job out of the gate was, you know, I was working for a spa. A friend of mine, Mark Raymond, owned three spas in Park City, and and he was kind enough to give me a job, and and then he promoted me right away because I, I worked really hard for him. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing that, I got offered. Um, I had a friend from LA that was really interested in this big real estate deal. And she asked me, who's, who's the best realtor in Park City? And I said, well, let me find out for you. And that kind of turned into me getting my license. <laughs> for real estate? Yeah, for real estate, because I thought, well, I'm not going to refer people for free. You know? <laughs> and I thought, I do have a lot of friends that come in from L.A. and they want to buy a second home. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. <clears throat> so... I went and studied really hard. You know, I barely graduated high school and I did not like taking tests. <laughs> Very intimidated by tests. And I applied myself and I passed my test the first go around. Nice. And so now I have this real estate license and I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do with it? Because <laughs> most people kind of start a little business, right? They work for a broker, but they are independent. Little yeah. Independent. So I decided to go and interview the top three realtors in Park City and try to become their assistant. Ooh. And I thought, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. And I have three kids and I just need to be somebody's assistant. Plus, it's kind of like you're getting paid to learn mm -hmm. about real That's estate. brilliant. So I met with this one gentleman. We had breakfast. And I told him, I said, look, I've never worked in an office. I've had random jobs my whole life, but I've I don't know how to work in an office and I barely know how to send an email. So that's what you're getting into. If you hire, you know, if I'm your <laughs> assistant, I said, but if you show me how to do everything, I'm really quick. And he said, well, let me ask you something. Are you good with people? And I was like, yes, I <laughs> am. And we worked it out where I managed all his listings. Wow. And every day I would call every person. He had about 30 listings. I would sit the open houses. I dealt with all the interaction of the people and the talking and having people come to the open house. And I would set the open house up and I would make snacks and beautiful <laughs> I'd have beautiful salads and things. And and that's perfect because you've, you've got so much experience in LA where it's very highbrow. And so you can kind of transfer those skills into impressing people in, in Park Lake, you said? 
Park, Park City. Park yeah, City. Yeah, okay. that's exactly right. So I had all this kind of hostess scene. I'd been a hostess. I'd worked in restaurants. I was a starving actress waitress for years, you know, while I was, you know, in my early years as a aspiring actress. So I had that experience and people would come into the open house and I'd get to know them. And then they'd say, well, can you list my home? <laughs> so now all of a sudden... I'm getting asked to list people's homes and, and the deal that I had set up with Rich, who I was working, I was his assistant, mm -hmm. was if I brought something to the table, we split it 50-50 and then nice. I got a percentage of everything that we did in the office. And so I would come back to the office. I'd go, hey, I got a $2 million listing. And then I'd go down. So we were upstairs. I'd go downstairs and I'd ask all the girls. I'd say, I got this listing, but you know that machine, that scanner thing with the buttons? Can <laughs> yeah. you guys show me how to use that one more time? And they just <laughs> laugh at me, you know, like, oh, God, poor, like, I mean, it was like, she's got a $2 million listing and she doesn't know how to use the scanner, you know? <laughs> and that was my story. And, and so I, I built a really nice, totally nice relationship in my community and, I that was so much fun working for Rich and his and his team and and you know it was the fine property team and he was so great and I learned so much working with them about marketing about real estate about you know protocol I mean there were times where I would get burned because I didn't do things properly like I'd spend mm -hmm. a whole day showing homes and didn't sign this buyer agreement and then they'd go use somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, you know, I just learned the hard way, all these mistakes. Well, yeah. And I have, a, I have a few questions if, if that's all right about, Absolutely. you know, kind of like that whole story is, is super exciting. Um, like I'm, I'm very, very happy to be able to hear all of this and talk to you about it. Um, so like going a little bit further back, I'm going to try and go sort of in order. Um, when, you know, when all that whirlwind was happening with the acting and the playboy and all of that stuff, you know, were there, were there many like dissenters, you know, who were, who were saying, oh, you shouldn't do that or anything like that? Or was being in LA helpful for having supportive people around? Yeah, I think being in LA was super helpful. I know that there were, you know, there were a few pushbacks because of, it was 1989, there was no internet. <laughs> it was a different time. You couldn't Google somebody and find anything out. And so the only way to really see me was to get the magazine. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, Playboy would say, where are there any towns specifically you'd like to do some promotions? And we had reached out to my father's hometown is Moses Lake, Washington. Okay. Really small town. And they did not want anything to do with it. Oh. They were a very conservative, you know, farming town. And <laughs> they didn't want anything to do with me coming and talking about Playboy. So, you know, so that was definitely. So while that was going on, what about internally? Like, was there any conflict there? Because it sounds like you were just confident and ready to go from the get-go. You know, I, the one thing I can say about myself, and I don't know where this comes from, <laughs> but I just didn't focus on that. that. You know, I would just be like, okay, well, next, what's next? <laughs> you know, and that was my attitude. If that, when that came back, when they said, hey, and I remember like people would talk to me, like it was a big deal. Like, hey, yeah, we reached out to 
some radio stations and they don't want to do an article and they don't want to have you come in. And I was like, okay, well, where can we go? <laughs> and I, you think know, it wasn't like I even thought about it for a second. It was just for me, it was like, okay, well, what's next on the list? Let's just keep going. I think that that's a very, very uh, helpful attitude to adopt. Um, and it's cool that you kind of came into it naturally. Um, and that sort of sort of leads into to the next thing that I was going to ask you about. And that is, you know, when you did the realtor thing, like, were you ever advised to, you know, present yourself as you are? Because I know a lot of people have a desire to, you know, especially when it comes to jobs or whatever, to present themselves as something bigger than they are or more impressive than they are. And I was given the advice and, and it was excellent advice to never do that. You know, always just present yourself as you are and do your best, you know, without, well, I, you know, I think that's why I, why I had the success that I have is because I think I, I am authentic. I, there's nothing, I'm not, there's, this is it, you know? Yeah. And did I go around saying, Hey, by the way, I was on the cover of Playboy <laughs> magazine. No, people would find that out on their own. And then it was always really funny because I could always tell when somebody knew and they were just dying to ask me like, were you a playboy? You know, cause you know, I don't look how I looked when I was 25. I did playboy when I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So they would just look at me like they weren't sure. And I, I could be in meetings, you know, even today. And I can tell if somebody's Googled me, you know, and you know, I use Gaylord, you know, my married name, I've used Gaylord in business, so a lot of the times it never came up. But even when you Google Deborah Gaylord, it kind of takes you to like you my, can go down the rabbit hole. You can go down. You can find me, and so. But for a long time, nobody, nobody did because when you put in Deborah Gaylord, nothing really yeah. pops up. So for a long time, nothing, nothing. But then, you know how it is. People start mm -hmm. talking and. And then and the then connections social, are made. On social media, I use my name, which is Driggs. And and then it kind of, you know, but I, I, it's funny to me because I'll be in a meeting with four or five people and, yeah. then, and I feel the energy and I'll look around the, the room and then all of a sudden I know. I'm like, yeah. oh, that person knows. They Googled me. Something's up. <laughs> and then sure enough, they'll come up to me after the meeting. I'll be like... So what was half like? <laughs> like? Yeah, I knew it. I could tell. That's so good. That's so good. So you, you were doing the realty thing. And then am I incorrect? You did insurance as well, right? So insurance is what I do now. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was so thinking. I, yeah. So what, what happened was in 2008 when the market completely crashed, debunked, bunked, mm -hmm. bunked, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> completely bunked. Um, I was working in a second home, multi-million, second home, multi-million dollar family, you yeah. know, that was what I was doing and nobody wanted that. And mm -hmm. so, so I wasn't making money for about six months and I couldn't sustain my life the way it, it had been going. And so a lot of things went really wrong at this point. I had to let the kids go live with their dad for a while. I had no money to pay rent. I had to give up the house we were living in. I didn't have any cash. I mean, I had no money. You mm -hmm. know, I don't, I didn't, I never invested in my life. Yeah. I never saved for a rainy day. You know, I just, <laughs> I learned everything the hard way. And my ex, I think had 
filed bankruptcy. And so he was not in a good place. And so here we are, no money, no. And so my kids go live. I go live with my mother okay, in okay. Ocala, Florida, in a 55 and over community. Oh, my goodness. And you want to talk about rock bottom. I was like, <laughs> what happened to me? I am literally no money living with my mom. I'm in my 40s. My kids are with their dad. They're upset. They want to be back with me. I mean, it was just a whole every what could and then it'd be like, you know, all those little things that you forget as years go on. But I mean, it would be like my phone got shut down or, you know, all those little things that are like the post-it notes getting stuck to you (laughs) and you can't get out. It's like, oh, my God another problem today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it starts Which to feel like I you're drowning i was drowning that's how it felt mm-hmm. it just felt like i could not get i could not get air and everything i would try to do it just felt like it just i got pushed back under the water mm-hmm. and that's just how it felt and anybody that suffers with anxiety or abandonment or fear really badly like i do I didn't know what all that was. You mm-hmm. know, I had I had kind of gotten through my life kind of like with all of this optimism and, mm-hmm. you know, guts and grinding and like just kind of skimming across that when something hit that was really big, I wasn't really prepared. I had never done any work on myself and I had never looked at my side of the street. I had never even considered that there was something wrong with me. I just thought Mm -hmm. it was everything else, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was that, it was 2008. It was my ex-husband. It was this, it was that. It was always something outside. Mm -hmm. And and I was also around people that also felt that way about their lives because Mm -hmm. you know how it is when you are living that way, you attract that energy. Exactly. So everything around me was like, well, yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, well, that that's terrible. And nobody was doing gratitude lists. Nobody was living in bliss or mm-hmm. experiencing a great meditation. I was barely getting out of bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a really horrible way to live. And, and, and not ever, I didn't get it. You know, it's like, I think, it's there's always goods and bads to everything. I agree. And what's great about all of that is that I just was this immature 40-year-old. I was so immature. And and the great thing about that is that I actually looked immature too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't look my age. I, yeah. I didn't act my age. I was just very immature and very unreasonable and really no tools whatsoever to deal with a rainy day. So I just went into complete like isolation and self-pity until I got out of the environment. Yep. You understand. (laughs) And so, so what was it like, because that's a hard thing to learn. Like I always say people to people that like, you know, you can't see what you don't see, you know? And so when, like for me, like I've also been there, but I went through like rehab and stuff and they kind of drilled it into me <laughs> to make me see it. But most people don't have an experience like that where they have someone like, you know, who's paid to to 
make you see things. So um, what... Uh, well, you probably know this really well then. And I'm, I, I would bet money before I even say this, that you will completely get this, is that it's not something that you learn, you get... And woohoo, I got it. It's, it's all going to work out now. <laughs> it's a very slow not, process. <laughs> it's, it is a process for life. Mm-hmm. And you just now have to just trust the process and know that really all we can do is control what we do. I can't mm-hmm. control what the government does. I can't control what the real estate market does. I can't control what my kids do. And I try really hard. <laughs> don't get me wrong and it always ends up bad you know it's like the minute I start putting on the c word control it's over it's always it never goes well but yeah. the minute I just trust and take myself out of it and go it'll work out I don't need to I, if my kids want to do that they're adults I have to allow them to learn it the hard way if they mm-hmm. ask me for my advice I give it if they don't. Otherwise, it just causes friction because, as you know, Mm -hmm. you can't help anybody when you're judging them. Yes, that is so true. And I have, that is one of my biggest things that I have to look at on a daily basis. Am I judging right now? Am I trying to control the situation? Am I judging it? Do I need to step back and just focus on my defects and not their defects? Like, you know, and so it's it's not, it's not what well, I'll go back to. It's not something that you learn, you got it, woohoo, it can move on and live in bliss. It doesn't happen. For me, it's a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get it now because I grew up, you know, doing, ath- you know, I was an athlete. I was a okay. figure skater oh, and I grew cool. up doing figure skating and, and ballet. And there was a lot of discipline and practice involved. So when it was explained to me that anything that you want to be really great at in life, or you really want to have some success with, you have to practice. Yes. It's no different with mental issues. I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, some of the things you just said about about control and the desire for control and not having control over anything outside of yourself, that's something that I consistently have to remind myself of too, is that like, I I I don't have control over anything besides what I do and how I interact with the things that I don't control. And... Sorry. And I also like, you know, couldn't agree more that it's a practice. And and I'm, you know, just like when I'm practicing piano or practicing anything else, constantly misstep. And it's just, I just got to keep going and keep going. And and the, the judgment thing, I, I can't believe how much I relate to you because I also... <laughs> I also struggle with that. And one of the things that I've always found really helpful, and maybe it's similar for you, is when I start to feel myself judging, I just remind myself that I at best have 1% of the information that goes into what I'm seeing, you know, and and that there's always so many factors playing into other people's behavior that we can't see. They couldn't even tell us if they wanted, 
you know? And so that really helps me with that. But it's still also something that I struggle with sometimes where I get like, I get really uncomfortable when I get mad, you know, because sometimes I get mad and then I'm like, oh, I hate this feeling. Yeah. (laughs) I prefer not to feel this way. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so, so you, what kind of led you to even realizing that there was a practice to be done? Well, I'll tell you. When I was down, 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 when I lived with my mom and, and, you know, I had to rethink everything. Mm-hmm. Everything had to be rethought because I could see a pattern. I could see this pattern that was happening with myself. And I, could, I, did, I wasn't fully understanding it, but I was aware of it now. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't, know, I didn't know why it was happening, but I just knew that something was going on with me mm-hmm. and that there was a pattern that every time I felt abandoned or pushed aside, I was taking it so personally on a deep level and nothing would, you know, it's funny because nothing was really going on outside of myself. Mm-hmm. It was the, what was going on in my head about it was so bad. And I just remember like, I couldn't get out of bed and my mom would come in in the morning and she'd say, Debbie, do you want me to make you breakfast? And I would just be like, no, I don't want to get out of bed. And then I, she's so smart. One day she came in, she said, Debbie, could you walk the dog for me? Oh, she asked you for a favor. Oh, that's brilliant. And she didn't know, but you know, how this was going to turn out. But I was like, okay. And I hadn't showered and just, I was really giving up. Mm-hmm. And um, I got on the golf cart with, I didn't even walk. I got on the golf cart with the dog. <laughs> The dog was a sweetheart. And, you know, dogs know. This dog used to come in and just put its head right here on my shoulder and and just, like, lick me and, like, know that I was in pain, right? Yeah. So we go in the golf cart, and there's all these little, where my mom lives in this 55 and over community, there's all these little places where people meet with their dogs. And, you know, it's this really beautiful area. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, cut to two weeks later now, I'm on the golf cart. I've got a little pep in my walk. I know all the people in the neighborhood. I know all their names. I know all the dogs' names. Mm-hmm. And they're saying things to me like, oh, your mom must be so proud of you. And she must really love having you here. It's so great that you came to visit her. You know, they don't know that I'm yeah. sleeping on the couch. And, you know, our kids never come and visit. And then they'd start telling me about their problems and they'd start telling me about their health issues. And what they didn't realize is that they were saving my life because I wasn't thinking about myself, Mm -hmm. wasn't thinking about the fact that I didn't have a job. I wasn't thinking about, oh, poor me, I have no money. I have no relationship. My kids are living with their dad on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast with my mom. And I wasn't thinking about that. I was honestly, authentically listening and being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. And then every day I'd go and meet these people and we'd sit there with the dogs while the dogs played. And I'd be, they all knew me. I'd be on the golf cart. They'd be like, hey, Deb, hey. And I'd be like, hey. And my mom's like, who's that? I'm like, that's your neighbor. You don't know your neighbor? (laughs) And she's like, well, I know a few few of my neighbors, but I knew everybody now in the whole community. And it, and I, was like of, a, I was the ringleader at this point. Did you yeah. ever see that movie with Cameron Diaz called In Her Shoes? 
Oh, no, I haven't. I haven't seen it. Okay, well, she goes to live with her grandmother in this 55 and over community. And that's, <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. Like, they all know me now. And they're like every day looking forward. And it was really cute when I, when I finally moved back to the West Coast. They would ask my mom, where's Debbie? You know, oh. and how is she? And, you know, it was really sweet. But yeah, that's where my life was. And, and you know, when you're in your head, you're dead. You know, when you're in your head and you're in your own misery and your own problem and and then you're trying to fix it in that state, <laughs> it just, it's like it gets worse. So, you know, I had to get out of that state. And once I started feeling a little better and I was moving my body and I was talking to other people with problems, I started feeling better. And I, I got reminded that, you know, I'm just lucky to be here breathing. Mm-hmm. And, but I still didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. I had awareness and no tools. And so. Yeah. It's, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, it sounds like, it sounds like you had tools as they came, like being present when people kind of sort of forced you to be present and stuff like that. And, and, you know, but without the understanding of how to apply the tools on your own, it's yes. still going to be extremely challenging. It's so challenging. And so it took a while, you know, I'm like a late bloomer. I did not get this until my fifties. And all of a sudden it was, I was thinking, you know, you have some choices here. (laughs) You can keep grinding it out or you can learn and grow. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to get some success in the business I'm in now, I realized, you know, I thought that was going to fix everything because I thought that was my problem, that I didn't have enough money, you know, and and I would say to the universe, whatever you want to believe in, but I would say things like, if you just let me have enough money to get my kids through school, I just need to get them through college, you know, like this would be my big prayer. Mm -hmm. Well, that happened. I got my kids through school. I got them through college. So you have to be really careful what you put out because the universe is listening. Mm -hmm. And so when I started getting success, I thought that was going to fix all my problems. It was the money that I was, that was the problem. Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough money. Then when I had enough money, I still had the problem. Yeah. (laughs) That's always how it goes. (laughs) And I thought, wow, I'm, I thought I, I thought when I made all this money, I was going to be really happy and really joyous and free. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't. And that was, I think, probably the biggest lesson of everything in my life was that that's always what I thought the problem was, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't independent. I didn't have any money. And I felt really bad about myself about that subject. And that was not the case. I, I made the money and I made it really, really... When I got into the business I'm in now, I had three really successful years back to back and I had the money and guess what I did? I blew through it. Mm -hmm. You would have thought I would have said, okay, now I'm going to invest. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be smart. So I'm never in this situation again. But no, I was like a kid with candy. It was like, Mm -hmm. I have money. Yay. Let's go travel the world. And I did. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a really good idea mm-hmm. to really look at a young age at all these things 
because as you get all, for me, my experiences, the, you know, I did all this in my forties and fifties, really tough years to be going through all, all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it might be a real good idea to do it when you have more energy and you can <laughs> deal with your trauma a little bit more, a little, with a little ease, you know, it's not, it's not easy at any age, but you know, you don't have all the stress that you have, you know, as you get older, there's a different kind of level of responsibility right. and all sorts of you other know, things that, yeah, you're starting to think about your retirement. Retirement. And... You're starting to think about, not that I'm ever going to retire, but, <laughs> but you start to think about it like, okay, I'm going to be in my 60s soon. And how does that, and that adds a whole other level of interesting thoughts, you know? Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Um, I've talked to uh, both on the show and in general, a lot of people who are in their fifties and sixties and, and it's really similar. And I think, I think to some degree it has to do with the accessibility of the tools in the year. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know if you're a late bloomer or if the tools just weren't really available. And I, I suspect it's more like that, but yeah, I agree. The sooner you can get started, the better. Cause I mean, I started my journey a decade ago, and I still have an immense number of struggles and abandonment issues and trauma that comes up, just randomly bubbles up and and gets in the way. And so I relate to that. Um, and so so now, like what are what are some tools that you find really useful now in your journey? So I have a routine. And it's a great, great, great question because. I can tell you, I can tell you all the things that don't work, you know, because I've tried a lot of those things, you know, and I have a great pair of running shoes. And when things start to get really tough, I would just run all the time. And that's Mm -hmm. just not the way to solve anything. So now I just sit, I sit in the whatever it is, the feelings, whatever the feelings are. I just sit. Um, I have a routine. So I get up every day at the same time. Yeah. I have a morning routine, which I think is really important to start out the day Mm -hmm. with either a gratitude list or an intention list or even two affirmations of how you'd like the day to go. Yep. Because when you're the director of your show and you're saying, hey, you know, today I just want to be grateful for all possibilities. I want to be grateful for the fact that I, I'm able to work. I want to be grateful that I have air to breathe. I want to be grateful that there will be food for me today. I just want to recognize that today. I want, mm-hmm. to, I want to be aware that I have these things that other people don't have, mm-hmm. that I'm not down the street in a homeless camp. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's right outside my door. Oh, okay. And, yeah. you know, I want to feel really grateful that I have my health. I have no health issues. Knock on wood. I want to I want to be aware of that today. I want to I want to be aware that everything I'm doing is pretty solid. I have clients. I may not be making the money I made 5 years ago, but that's okay because mm-hmm. I woke up and I have and focus on what I do have. Mm-hmm. And I want to focus on the fact that I have 3 kids that are healthy. I want to you know, so it's like you can go down a list and Start your day off like that and start it off with some good hot water with lemon. I try to only eat, I eat very, I, I'm not a breakfast person. Mm-hmm. 
never have been. And I don't want to, there's certain things in life that you just don't change if they're working. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just, breakfast is not appealing. It's not appealing for me to wake up and put food in my body immediately. Yep. In the morning, I like to have a lot of hot water with lemon. I like to have my latte. I like to drink water. I, I like liquids in the morning and I like to meditate. I have meditation music that plays all day, especially if I'm in my office. I write quite a bit now, more than ever. Like journaling ever, kind of writing? Journaling, or? writing. If I can't think of anything to write, I just write a gratitude list. Even if I wrote one yesterday or a week ago, I write it again. Because there's something about the motion of writing mm-hmm. with the connection to the mind. If you're just thinking about it, it doesn't wire you the same way. But if you're actually writing, it wires those problem areas really well for you. Yeah, it, it, I think has to do with the... Uh just the the taking extra steps so that your brain has to sort of focus on more things. So go Absolutely. ahead. Sorry, I mean, yeah, no, that's so true. And so I write, I, um, well, I can tell you what I do. I have a, I have a whiteboard right in front of me. So I <laughs> morning meditation and prayers. I sit in silence. I drink hot water with lemon. I put on my meditation music. I either do my strength training or I walk. Mm-hmm. And then I open my emails and I get probably now at this time in my life, I get about 50 to a, 50 to hundred emails a day. It's not a lot. Yeah. It used to be a lot more. And if I get a little overwhelmed, I just shut my computer and do another meditation or I just sit and read something positive. I keep a lot of positive things around me. So when I'm, grasping at straws or I'm trying to figure something out. I'm like, why don't I just pick something up and read something to get out of my head? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of positive things around me. I do deep breathing. I make five phone calls to either my coach, my mentors, my peers, working, you know, people in my industry or people that I consider really close friends. And then I journal, I write, I go over my week at the beginning of the week, you know, go over my week and I set an intention on what, what, what would I like to accomplish this week? Doesn't you have to, you know, in the past, it was like, you've got to have 20 new clients. You've got to run 10 miles. You've got to hyper-discipline, shed three pounds. You've got, you know, I was so hardcore on myself and now I'm like, why don't you just sit and relax? So you know? it sounds to me like the the difference between, you know, 2008, 2009 and now is stark. Um and a huge majorly difference. I am fantastic. Um and so- you you must feel this too when you're you know, when you look back for, at yourself five years ago, you go, God, I don't even remember. Like, what it's like to think a, like that? Yeah, like that's such a different version of myself. Mm-hmm. And when I think back to how I was, like when I was married, I'm not even close to that version of myself. How I was when I got divorced, it was horrible. You know, mm-hmm. I was just angry and bitter and, you know, and so, you know, we, I think 
that's the beauty of life. And I think that I forgot that, hey, guess what? Tomorrow's a new day. I can start all over. I may have messed up super, super bad yesterday, but tomorrow's a new day and I can start over. It's okay. You know, we all mess up. We are not perfect human beings. You know, we are just not. And and if that's the goal is to be able to let go of those things because we beat ourselves up more than anybody will do. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I, I beat myself up. People might say harsh things to me or say, hey, that was really, that was really fucked up what you did, Deborah. You know, and that 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 may sound harsh, but I am beating myself up way more. Mm-hmm. And so just to know that, okay, you know what, Lo, why don't we just let it go for today? And then we'll sleep on it and see, you know, tomorrow the sun's going to come out no matter what happens to me. So why don't we just see what tomorrow brings? It might be a totally different experience. And so that's, those are hard lessons to learn. Those are hard pills to swallow when you don't know what you don't know. And it took me all those years and it took so many unnecessary failures, you know? <laughs> I do know. I, I do know. I really liked it. You know, I love when people say, what would your younger self do now? You know, what would you do different now? And I love, you know, it's like you love and hate that question because I guess, you know, for me, it's like I really, really craved validation that no not so much validation but but parenting I craved parenting and I didn't have a lot of parenting I didn't have Mm -hmm. a lot of mentoring I didn't have you know thank god for my ice skating coaches Mm because that's probably what saved my life really because nobody else in my life really nobody really cared if I went to college nobody cared if I did well in school and I kind of wish that I would have had a little bit more of that, you know, because mm. I was really smart. I just didn't apply myself, especially when I got to high school. I just gave up, you know. Yeah, I think I think that that's a really good point. Is guidance is super, 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 super important. helpful. Like huge difference, and and it can be really overwhelming for people today because you know there's there's so many different versions of guidance that it's almost like it may as well be none. Um, but, uh, but I did. Okay. So I want to ask you one more question before I ask you where people can find you and all that fun stuff is, um, so you've gone from no tools to just an incredible routine that everything that you mentioned, I think is super, super helpful. Um, what, what was the first thing? What was the first thing that changed from that? The first tool you adopted with any kind of regularity? That's a great question. I would say on my own, because I have done a lot of different growth learning type mm-hmm. of things in the last four or five years, but on my own, I think the first thing that I found that I, it felt almost like, and I don't take a prescription anything. I never have. That's just not a part of my story. I'm not a, I'm really anti-vaccine pill, whatever. So, but yoga, when I Uh, found yoga in 1995, 1994-95, that was the first thing that started to, my my thinking started to shift because all of it, well, because there's something about the practice of yoga that's almost like an Mm anti-anxiety 
And I was so riddled with anxiety all the time. And I didn't know that, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that that was my problem. I didn't know that I was walking around with all this untreated trauma and anxiety and post-PST, whatever you want to call it. I didn't know, you know, I just, I thought I handled everything really well. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, well, thought, oh, I got, I got that, you know, because I grinded through everything so well. And people would always say, you always look like you have it so together that I didn't know that underneath I was suffering so badly. And, you know, I mean, I, I let me put it this way. I knew, but I didn't know. I yeah. knew there was something off because I'd have these moments where I just could not get my breath. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, really what is don't. going on? Why do I, oh, why am I out of breath? And then I would do yoga and it would like calm me down. And it was almost like if somebody gave me a pill and it just magically calmed me down. And so yoga was like my start into mindfulness and and looking at things from that lens. Mm-hmm. It was like a different lens. And that's kind of what started me on my on my journey of recovery of of, you know, there's trauma, but how are we going to deal with it? And and honestly, I think that that's a really, I'm, I'm glad I asked that question because it's really cool that, and, and it's, you know, it's similar for a lot of people I talk to, including myself, is you you start to learn a skill, you start to use it, but you don't, it can take years before you realize what role it can play. You know, so like it helped with your anxiety, but you 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 weren't quite sure. Like you didn't understand the the wide application of it until you know a decade and a half later, where you're like, hey, actually mindfulness is is gonna is gonna help take me out of this. Yeah. So that's super super cool, and I I really appreciate you sharing that. And where Thank can people you. where can people find more? Uh, oh, they can follow me on Instagram at Deborah Driggs, my name. That's two Gs. Yep. I am posting everything on my journey. Um, You know, I'm launching a website this week. I'm getting ready to launch a book by the end of the year. And I'm going to be talking about all these stories in my book and how how I relate them to the successes that I've had and the failures that I've had. Well, that's exciting. You know, and the goal is to inspire somebody who might be in their 40s that has got knocked down, especially in today's world with everything that's happened in the last year, you know, people got knocked down. They had to close their mom and pop shops. They had to start all over. And I get it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had to do that a few times in the last 17 years. So I completely get it. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story and we can play a game if you're into it where you I love games. Yes. Nice. Perfect. So you're gonna guess Australian slang and some of it might be obvious and some of it might not be. I'm not really sure. This Australian is from Australian slang, okay. Mundly.com, if anyone's wondering. Um, okay, so what is a bottle O? Say it one more time. Bottle O. A bottle a bottle Okay, well, I got to think it's not going to be the obvious thing I'm thinking. So let's see. A bottle is a, a mess up. It, it's a liquor store. <laughs> 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 Although you could argue that it could cause some mess ups for sure. It could totally. <laughs> what is a mozzie? A cigarette. No, it's a, it's a skeeter or a mosquito. I was going to say skeeter. That's what we call them. <laughs> as- <laughs> 
really torturous. I have, I've, see, I've never been to Australia. We should have picked a country I've been to. I, oh, always, I always try to pick countries people haven't been to. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> okay, so we'll do, we'll do three more. Okay, so what is, oh, uh, Milko. Milko, a cow. <laughs> it's the milkman, but <laughs> okay. not terrible. Second to last one is what is Macca's? Macca's. Candy. No, it's McDonald's. It's McDonald's. Isn't that wild? Oh, <laughs> of course it is. And we're going to finish with a very obvious one that I'm sure you'll get. What is a Barbie? A shrimp on the Barbie, a barbecue. Yes, it's a barbecue. <laughs> I had Perfect. to say the whole phrase before exactly. I did it. Exactly. I That's what I do. Shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is there anything that you want to add before I say goodbye to the listeners? Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to share my story today. And if somebody got something out of it that was helpful to a struggle they're having today, then I did my job. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and willing to share the story. It's uh it's harder than people think. So yes. I, I appreciate that so much. And so thank you, Deborah, and to my listeners. I love you. Bye. Mm-hmm.